If you want to help a baseball player, both at his craft and personally, ask why. Don't ask once or twice, ask often. Motives matter. They matter tremendously. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight by a Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! In the game of baseball, and really beyond that, but I'm, I'm thinking baseball right now, so often we focus on questions like who, what, where, when, and how. And there's no doubt that these kinds of questions and the answers to them matter. They matter in the game of baseball. They matter in life. But what can be neglected oftentimes is asking the question, why? The why of the matter matters tremendously. And often properly answering those other questions have as a prerequisite asking the question, why? And not asking it just one time and then moving on, but asking it again and again. And asking it with the goal of probing deeper into the person. To better understand the person you're working with. To better help the person you're working with. In my experience in player development in professional baseball, and I'm talking now when I was a player and others were trying to help me develop, and as I was a coach helping or at least trying to help other players to develop, I found that that question, why, is extremely important. And the people who ask that question sincerely, wanting to learn about why a person thinks what he thinks or why a person does what he does, is very important if I want to understand the person and if I want to help the person. And if I'm a coach, if I'm trying to develop this player to help him develop at his craft, and in his life. Now, sometimes we have the issue of people saying, okay, yeah, the why question, I should ask that question, so I ask that. But then the person receiving the answer back, the person that asked the question, really has no interest in hearing the answer. They already have made up their mind how they're going to address this person, how they're going to deal with this situation. And that's not good. And those kinds of people... Do not develop players well. And again, take it outside of baseball. They don't develop other people well, employees or whatever the case may be. There's another kind of problem, though, and this doesn't really fit into that realm where you're working with these people directly, but when a person has a why question and they can't know the answer because they have no ability to talk directly to the person or to the people that they have the why question about. Now, I hope I was never guilty as a coach, as somebody working in player development, of asking the why question and not having interest in hearing the answer. I believe I sincerely wanted to hear the answer. I wanted to know where somebody was coming from, even if the answer was something that was an answer I wouldn't give, or even if the attitude was one that I wouldn't have. But this past week, I definitely dealt with the issue of wanting to ask why of a person, or really a group of people, in which I have no ability to hear them respond. 
And this came about in particular due to an announcement that was made on Tuesday night. Tonight, we are pleased to announce the addition of one new member to the Hall of Fame fraternity who will be honored alongside Fred McGriff at the induction ceremony on July 23rd at the Clark Sports Center here in Cooperstown. A two-way superstar playing 17 seasons for the Phillies, Cardinals, Reds, and Blue Jays. Today, Scott Rowland becomes a member of the National Baseball Hall of Fame. He burst onto the scene as the 1997 National League Rookie of the Year and will go on to win eight Gold Glove Awards and make seven All-Star teams. A lifetime 281 hitter and 2002 National League Silver Slugger, he clubbed 316 home runs with a career OPS of 855. Among third basemen, the Indiana native ranks in the top 10 for wins above replacement, while defensively only Brooks Robinson, Mike Schmidt, and Nolan Arenado have won more gold gloves than he did at the hot corner. Now I want to be clear. I am not asking why Scott Rowland was voted into the Hall of Fame. You probably know that for a player to make the Hall of Fame, he must be named on 75% of the ballots put in by the baseball writers. Roland was named on 76.3%. The fact that he has been elected into the Hall of Fame makes sense to me. You heard many of his credentials in that announcement. I believe he's worthy of becoming a member of this very elite company. And so congratulations to Scott Rowland. Now, I want to play an audio clip for you, and it is an audio clip of Scott Rowland telling his parents that he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, or actually selected to. The ceremony will be later this summer. A couple of things, though, before I play this clip. First of all, you really have to, if you haven't already, try to find the video, and it should be easy enough, try to find the video, because the audio does justice to a point, but you have to see the reaction on the face of his mother and then his father. Secondly, this audio cuts out for a second or two a few times through it. Just be patient with that. The unmitigated joy by his parents was just a delight to see. And as I mentioned, please try to see it, not simply listen to it. So Scott Rowland, as you heard in the announcement by the Hall of Fame, will join Fred McGriff. McGriff. Now, he was voted in in December through the Contemporary Baseball Era Players Committee. So McGriff spent his 10 years on the ballot, didn't make the Hall, but then was voted in in December. So Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff will be the only two inductees for 2023. That ceremony, as it is every year, will be held in Cooperstown 
This year, it will be on July the 23rd. Now, when you get elected into the Hall of Fame, at least in the baseball world, you're the top guy they want to interview. So, of course, Scott Rowland performed or, or gave many interviews. And when you're giving many interviews, you're asked and answering a lot of questions. And one of the things that Scott Rowland said in his interviews is that his defense was what he took the most pride in as it regards playing the game of baseball. And he tells us why he did. He said, it's the one thing that if the ball is hit to you at your defensive position, it affects your team immediately. It affects your pitcher. It affects your team. You save runs. I love that. He obviously was very good both defensively and offensively. That's why he's going into the Hall of Fame. But that mindset and that approach is also very refreshing. So Scott Rowan is definitely worthy of being in the Hall of Fame. My why question is, why is he alone in this year's class that was just voted on last, well, it was voted on earlier, the announcement was made last week. Why did guys like Todd Helton, who came close, 72 plus percent of the ballots, Billy Wagner, 68% plus, and Andrew Jones, just over 58%, why did these men fall short? Why did they not receive the required votes? Are they not worthy of the Hall of Fame? I think they are. Now, I'm guessing that all three of those men will be voted in before their 10 years on the ballot comes to an end. So that's a why question I have, but it's not the big why question. The big why question I have is, why was Jeff Kent not voted in? Why was he named on only 46.5% of the ballots? Why has he fallen short for 10 years now, which means he now falls off the Hall of Fame ballot. It seems to me, and I think to anybody looking objectively at the numbers, that he is a Hall of Famer. He is one of the greatest offensive second basemen in the history of the game. And I would say that most recognize that at worst, his defense at second base was adequate. Some would say, in in at least some aspects, well above that. Now, there's no hint of PED use in Jeff Kent's career. There are no scandalous uh, stories that I know of. None of that. So what's the issue? That's my why question. Why? Why did so many writers leave him off the ballot? Now, I asked the question, but I can't get an answer from them because I don't have access to them. But it's hard for me not to say, given objectively his numbers... And objectively, the lack of any PED use or any scandalous behavior on his part, that many people left him off the ballot simply because they didn't like the guy. And that, if that's the case, and again, I can't say for sure, if that's the case, that's ridiculous. Look at his numbers. Look at what he has done. Whether you like the guy or not is completely irrelevant to whether he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Now, I played with Jeff Kent only for a month. In 1992, I was playing for the New York Mets, and at the end of August, at the trade deadline, the Mets sent David Cohn to the Toronto Blue Jays. In return, they received a player to be named later who ended up being Ryan Thompson, an outfielder, center fielder, but the main uh, person in that trade was Jeff Kent. And so I spent the month of September playing with Jeff Kent, being around him, going to dinner with him, 
I like Jeff Kent. I will say this about Jeff Kent. He's not a guy that's going to do or say anything that he doesn't believe in. He's just not. I appreciate that about anybody, and I appreciated that about him. But again, I don't know how he's not in. I don't get it. I have the question, why? Somebody tell me why. A real reason, why? Now, I will say this. I do believe that like Fred McGriff, he will get in via the Contemporary Baseball Era Players Committee. I do think that'll happen. And that'll be good. But it's a shame that he did not get in through the Baseball Writers Association of America. Now, before we move on to this whole Hall of Fame aspect of this episode, I've got a Hall of Fame trivia question for you. Yesterday's date, January the 29th, marked an anniversary. In particular, the 87th anniversary of the first ever Hall of Fame class. So in 1936, the first ever players were elected to the Hall of Fame. There were five of them. Do you know who those five players are? I'm going to give you a second to think about it, and then I'm going to list the names of those five players slowly so that you can think even as I'm saying the names. And I've kind of put them in an order of the names that I was thinking you might guess first and then working from there. So the five players, the first class of the Hall of Fame in 1936 include Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Hannes Wagner. Now we get to a couple of pitchers. Walter Johnson. Do you know the fifth one? Christy Mathewson. So there you have it. I don't do trivia a lot, but I thought given everything going on and yesterday's anniversary, I would bring that to your attention. Now let's swift sh- shift our attention, excuse me, to some other news going on. And, and in particular news about people receiving contract extensions. Now, I can guarantee you this. I'm not asking why this man received a contract extension. And this man that I'm first going to talk about is not a player. He's a manager. And I don't have to, for a second, ask, why did the Atlanta Braves extend their manager, Brian Snicker, through the 2025 season? Brian Snicker is the epitome of a baseball man. He's the epitome of a man dedicated to the Atlanta Braves. He is a man that has demonstrated the ability to run a clubhouse well, to motivate his players, and of course to win, as they won a world championship a year plus ago. And so I don't ask why. I get it. And I'm very happy for Brian Snicker. And if you're a Braves fan, I'm assuming you're very happy as well. Now some players within that same division, the NL East, the Mets announced that they have extended their second baseman, Jeff McNeil. It's four years, $50 million, and it could go to five years, $63.75 million. Now, a team that has been handing out extensions, quite a few of them recently, is the Tampa Bay Rays. They're close to finalizing a deal with Yandy Diaz, which is reported to be three years, $24 million, and they've already extended two of their pitchers. One was Pete Fairbanks, a right-handed reliever. He was extended at three years, $12 million. That could increase to four and $24.6 million. Now, the Tampa Bay Rays have had a good reputation in the game of baseball for a long time. They are a small market team. They deal with problems with attendance, problems with TV contracts, the kinds of things that 
that teams in L.A. or New York or Chicago don't have to deal with. And yet, the Rays are always competitive, often making the playoffs and at times going to the World Series. And they have a reputation as an organization that scouts well, that drafts well, that develops players well. And then when you're talking about the front office and making decisions as it regards the big league roster, it seems they have an uncanny ability to know when they ought to let somebody go, to know when they ought to extend somebody, to know when to trade for somebody. They've made very, very good trades. So they have a reputation of wisdom and and intelligence and doing the right thing. And so when you see them handing out these extensions, you think, you know, they, they probably know what they're doing. Well, I didn't tell you yet the third player that they extended, which was another pitcher, and that was Jeffrey Springs, a left-handed pitcher. He has been extended for four years, $31 million. Now, if the club picks up a fifth-year option, and if Jeffrey Springs were to reach all of his incentives, the contract could end up being five years at $65.75 million. And I think this is a great story for a couple of significant reasons. First of all, Jeffrey Springs has had anything but an easy journey to get to this contract extension. He was a 30th round draft pick. The Rangers picked him in the 30th round in 2015. In the minor leagues, he bounced in and out of the rotation. He made his major league debut in 2018 with Texas and posted a very fine 3.38 ERA. But then in 2019, he missed months of the season because he had left biceps tendonitis. And of course, as a left-handed pitcher, that's a major issue. His ERA that year was over six. He was with the Boston Red Sox in 2020, and in that season, his ERA was over seven. The Red Sox designated him for assignment and then ended up trading him to Tampa. And he has had two very good seasons with the Rays, 2021 working out of the pen, 2022 working out of the rotation. And so whenever you see a story like that, where a person has overcome a lot of adversity and then is rewarded as he has been, it's something that you got to be happy for the guy. But I'm also very pleased with the Tampa Bay Rays. And I'm not a Rays fan. I think I might become a Rays fan because of this, but I've not been historically. And you might be asking, okay, I'm, I'm a little confused. Well, if you do not remember, Jeffrey Springs was one of five pitchers, the others being Jason Adams, Jalen Beeks, Brooks Raley, and Ryan Thompson, one of five pitchers for the Rays last summer in June, that when Tampa had their pride night, and when they had the hats where the TB on the hat was colored in with the rainbow colors, those five pitchers did not participate. And Kevin Cash, the manager of the Rays, and the Rays as an organization said things that you think, well, I hope they mean what they say. They were supportive of their players. Well, they proved that they meant what they said, by giving Jeffrey Springs this extension. Now, if you think about the people that were upset with these five pitchers, including Jeffrey Springs, last June, you've got to assume there are some people right now that are irate. They would consider it to be ridiculous that the team would, quote-unquote, reward him after what he had done. But the Rays demonstrated the ability to reason. They, they demonstrated the ability to reason of his value, but I think also just to reason that, hey, he may not hold to what we hold to. And I'm just assuming he, he doesn't in this sense, that if the Rays believed what Jeffrey Springs believed, they wouldn't have a pride night. So as an organization, they have a different view than him. 
but they were able to reason and say the fact that he disagrees, the fact that he would not participate in this event in the way that we wanted our team to participate in it is not something we're going to hold against him. We can get away from that or outside of that. We, we get his why is what it comes down to. Now, in the last few weeks, I've had some conversations with people who listen to this podcast, really good conversations. They're brothers in Christ, conversations about you know, what, what does a Christian do to show love, to show love to people that are living in sinful rebellion against God. And I thought in the last couple of weeks of bringing up a story, and I haven't, and I'm going to bring it up now, even though I'm a bit reluctant, but I, I just think it needs to be brought up. So back in 1996, I had a situation that was a public issue and received a lot of public criticism. And part of that involved receiving mail from all over the country. And one person who was very upset with me was a young woman who was a very well-known personality, I believe within the radio, in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And so she photocopied an article that was uh, printed in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution about her, and then on the back side, the blank side, she wrote me a note. I do not remember what she wrote, but she did definitely think I was a hater, and uh, it was she, it was handwritten, and it was fairly big, so it couldn't have been more than 15 words. But I do remember how she signed it. She signed it vehemently A-B. Those were her initials. And so I wrote her a letter back. And I said to her, you know, I got your letter. I read the article about you. And I believe that I have the ability to reason fairly well. And it sure appears to me that you do. So let's reason through this together. And I wrote and I said to her, I know you disagree with my understanding of what the Bible teaches as it regards, in this particular case, sexual immorality. I get that. But you think that I hate a group of people. You know enough about what I think about the Bible to know that if I actually hated anybody or any group of people as a Christian, the best way I could show my hatred to them would be to encourage them in that behavior that is going to send them to hell. Or at the very least, just be silent and just watch as they head there. I said, so while you disagree with me and my conclusions, you know what I believe, and so you know that if I hated them, I wouldn't have done what I did. It's actually out of love. Interestingly, she wrote back. She wrote back and she said to me, I don't remember what again, it was handwritten. Again, probably 15 words or less. Don't remember what she wrote but I very much remember how she signed the letter. Remember, the first letter was signed vehemently A.B. This letter was signed warmly A.B. You see, she was a person who could think. She was a person who was willing to think through the why questions as it regards what I did. And even though she disagreed with me on a lot of things, she was able to reason and say, well, yeah, you know what? That makes perfect sense. If he did hate a person, If he did hate a group of people, as a Christian, believing what he believes, believing the Bible, if he hated them, he wouldn't have done what he did. It's actually out of love that he did what he did. So we need to ask why, and we need to listen. A lot of people are saying, why would a person not support these various things? Why would a person refuse just to remain silent about them? Things like killing babies mutilating children, sexual immorality of all kinds, especially the most heinous of sexual immorality. And right now I would say that's drag queens performing before children. 
Why would people not support or remain silent about organizations like BLM or Antifa? Well, the answer is that if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian living for the glory of God, you speak up. You refuse to support these things, not out of hate, but love. Because you're warning people that the wrath of God abides on them, and unless they repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they will perish forever. That is the most loving thing that a Christian can do. Which makes me ask another why question. Why do those who profess to love the Lord Jesus Christ endorse, or at the very least, remain silent when people eagerly pursue that which will damn them? But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for listening.